Opinions expressed in this episode are personal. They do not necessarily reflect the views of this streaming platform. Good day, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Let's Be Diverse. I am your host, Andrew Stout. This episode is dedicated to all loved ones that have supported me through this journey. How often have you had thoughts of self-doubt cross your mind? For some people, these thoughts occur quite often. And when they do, they bring a cascade of emotions, and none of them are helpful. In this episode, we will discuss imposter syndrome and how it can affect us at work. My guest today is Dr. Mandolin Mull. Now, Dr. Mandolin Mull is the founder of Momentum Consulting, LLC, a bespoke leadership and organizational development firm where she customizes online and in-person group training and one-on-one leadership, mentoring programs to develop sustainable success for individuals, teams, and, of course, organizations. With a PhD in organizational development and change and an MBA in internal business, her expertise lies in change management, operations, and leadership development. Prior to joining the realm of higher education administration, Mandolin accrued over a decade of corporate leadership experience in the fields of healthcare, property preservation, and logistical distribution. Possessing an extensive background in leadership performance, she consults with organizations across the globe, providing analysts providing analysis and interventions targeted to improve organizational performance outcomes. Welcome to the show, Mandolin. It is a pleasure to have you on today. Thank you so much for having me, Andrew. I really am excited to be talking with you about imposter syndrome. I'm excited to have you on today. How have things been? I'm great. You know, I'm staying, uh, you know, uh, optimistic and trying to help people the ways that we do in our field, right? Um, So I'm keeping uh, connected on our networks on LinkedIn and just trying to uh, give folks momentum and motivation where I can. Wonderful, wonderful. I'm glad to hear that things are going okay with you. I know it's uh, busy times these days, uh, especially with the nice warm weather coming, we get even busier. Sure. (laughs) Um, Before we begin, I always have a fun question to ask my guests to get things going. Are you ready for yours today? Let's go. (laughs) So your question today, man, is if you could make any small animal as large as a cow, which animal would you choose and why? Chipmunk. Easy. I love chipmunks. Um, I've got a lot of chipmunks that run around my property. And they're always so quick. They're always so fast. You don't really get to enjoy them other than just seeing them briefly. Um, So I'd really love to be able to actually see one large, not moving around so much so that I could uh, appreciate it in its totality. Well, that's an interesting answer. I wasn't expecting that one. But one of my favorite cartoons was Alvin and the Chipmunks when I was a kid. So uh, not to date myself or anything for any of our listeners, but that was one of my favorite cartoons. So great choice. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having fun with me, Mandolin. I sincerely appreciate it. Um, 
So why don't we start off with you telling us a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, so I'm, I've got a lot of leadership background. I'm just from a young age. Uh, I was inspired a lot by my grandfather, who was an Air Force colonel, uh, base commander. Um, so he had a very big call of service. Um, my father was a master stonemason. He ran his own business. Um, so I got to learn a lot about leadership from both of those gentlemen that really I'm, um, gave me a perspective of the responsibility of how to take care of our people, how to treat people well, uh, and really have a call to service to support other people, encourage other people, see them, see them who they are, accept them who where they are at, meet them where they're at, and help them get to where they want to go. And so I'm, I really kind of tried to... Uh, follow their paths in many ways. I'm and I'm. I continue to try to endeavour to live up to their legacy that they bestowed into me uh, through the folks that I get to train through my consulting business. I'm um, and when I was teaching in academia, so yeah, it's really powerful to me to um, be able to try to carry on that legacy. And so, you sounds like you've always been uh, had a love or a passion for leadership. Yeah, it I'm um, it's been something that, you know, I mean, I never forget my father telling me I'm um, the responsibility that it took. I uh, you know, my father actually built his company only because he was working for a master stonemason um at the time who couldn't balance his checkbook apparently. And my grandfather, my mother's father, asked my my father why he wouldn't just start his own company. And I'm um, you know, it was that kind of support. My grandfather gave my daddy the capital to start his business. And so getting that um, put a really big perspective in my father's mind that a leader's responsibility is to take care of the livelihoods of the people they lead. Uh, understanding that, you know, we're responsible for them putting food on their tables, uh, paying their mortgages and not to mention just their overall perception of their lives, their quality of their lives, and that we shouldn't take that responsibility lightly, that that what we do in the workplace fundamentally impacts people in their home lives. And that was something that, you know, I always really, it resonated with me um, because of the lessons my father had learned and what my grandfather had kind of taught. And so I found myself just constantly being uh, in leadership roles uh, in my, the entirety of my career. There's only been three months that I was not in a leadership role. And, um, you know, imposter syndrome was a really big thing for me. So, um, you know, I feel like I, I can speak to that really well. But it, it really came from a sense, uh, my leadership has come from a sense of service. Very interesting. That's such an awesome story. And Sounds like you you had a passion for what you decided that you wanted to do right from the beginning. So when you have a passion for something, it makes a great deal of a difference um, in yourself and the people that you're leading. So that's great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So explain to us what, yeah, explain to us what uh, imposter syndrome is and how it can affect us uh, specifically in the workplace. 
So imposter syndrome is really a sense of not feeling good enough. Now I'm not, I'm not being up to snuff, right? And we know that there are studies that show that this uh, affects women a little bit more than men, but not by much. And we suspect that about 70% of our employees experience imposter syndrome. And, you know, especially leaders, one of the things that we know is there's something else called the Peter Principle. And the Peter Principle says that you get promoted one level too far. You basically get promoted past your level of competency. You get promoted based on performance for a prior job uh, with the expectation that you'll do consistently well in a new role that actually looks nothing like your prior role <laughs> oftentimes, right? So like say that I was to take back when I was in um, logistical distribution, if I took my best forklift driver and made them a supervisor, well, now I've lost my best forklift driver doing the technical work there on the ground mm-hmm. um, and put them in a people-oriented role that they may not be equipped for. And oftentimes in our organizations, we're not great at really training folks that way. Now, here, my friend, is where imposter syndrome crops up. It crops up because that new forklift driver that I've just told I believe in and they can go be a leader and they've got the talent and I put them in that position, they start to get a little bit um, insecure. They start to worry when things don't work out correctly. Um, And they think, you know, well, Madeline has all this confidence in me, so I shouldn't ask for help. You know, if I ask for help, it's going to look like I don't know what I'm doing. And so I've just got to work really hard to prove that I'm really good and deserving of this role. And that creates a lot of issues. It creates some burnout, right? Because we typically can see imposter syndrome manifest as overworking, people trying to prove that they're good enough. Um, And that's where us as leaders need to step in and be like, hey, no, you know, you're good. You've earned your seat at the table. You don't have to keep pushing so hard. Um, But that is really, in a nutshell, what we start to see is that, People get insecure. Do I really belong here? And instead of voicing that, instead of connecting with other people and saying, wow, I think I might be in it over my head, we get driven by that insecurity. We get driven by shame. We get driven by ego. Whatever whatever one it is that we grab onto, it's not great. It's not healthy, but we grab onto it. Um, and we get ourselves into a bind of I'm not good enough, so I'm going to hunker down and just try to keep going on my own merits without collaboration. Um, mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that is a recipe for disaster. So it's interesting that you said to me that you're talking about putting a truck driver in a leadership position. It's interesting to me because I it makes me think about certain situations where a company will look at an individual and they'll say, you know, Susie, you are really, really good at that job. You, you, you're able to f- do the tasks. You finish everything on time. You're such a good worker. However, you put them in a position where they are in a leadership role, where they are training, where they have to train people. 
And even though they're good at their job, they may not have the skills or the knowledge or the abilities to be able to train people or to teach people how to do it because they have that process in their head. They just go and do the job and they don't know how to train somebody because they just go in and, okay, I got to do this, 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 this. But then when it comes to showing somebody how to do it, they have issues with it. So I can definitely see imposter syndrome coming in in that stage. Right. And because people get too afraid to admit that they don't know, right? Like they're like, oh, I think I can do this. And it's not that they mean partly, right? Like imposter syndrome, it's I'm... It's something to me when I recognize it in others, it's a call to action for me to support and to help and understand what support looks like in that person's currency. Um, it's not something that I go, oh, well, that person has a terrible case of imposter syndrome, right? Like there's not a negative thing in that. It's more of a, ooh, I as their leader need to be looking out for this so that I can round out where they feel that they're not supported, where they feel like they have to hide from me or, you know, kind of um, disguise their weaknesses and where I can say, no, 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 you're going to have weaknesses. That's fine. We'll outsource them. Let's get it out in the open. It's something that I had a dear friend of mine once tell me where he said, Mandolin, the monsters are in the room whether you turn the lights on or not. Turn the lights on and know what you're up against. And I look at that with imposter syndrome. Let's turn the lights on. If you feel like you're in over your head, if you feel like you're in, um, you're insecure, if you feel like maybe you don't have good relationships with the people around you, you know, these kinds of things, you've got to learn how to kind of step out of that and step into the discussions. Um, imposter syndrome holds us back from doing that. Imposter syndrome is a fear oriented type. Uh, barrier that we've got to really navigate a- around. You know, that's so interesting to me that you said that because I had a conversation with somebody just the other day and we were talking about being afraid to ask for help. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, if you don't know the answer, uh, I have a sales, you know, on top of HR, I have a sales background as well. And the worst thing that you could say is, you know, someone asks you a question and you don't know the answer and you give an answer and then yeah. it just actually looks worse. You're it better does. to just say, Hey, I don't have the answer. I will get I'll get back to you. Or if you're in a leadership role and an employee comes to see you and asks you a question, it's best to say, I don't know what to do in this situation, but I will find out and I will get back to you. And as long as you get back to them, it's okay. Right. If you don't get back to them, then there could be an issue. So very, very interesting Mm -hmm. um, uh, stuff that you have said there. Thank you very much for that. So you've probably been asked this question many times. If an organization asks you how uh, they can help their employees get over imposter syndrome, what would you answer them? You know, what it really comes down to is creating, eliminating the environment of fear, right? We have to, you know, psychological safety is something we're talking about more and more, thank heavens. Um, not enough yet, but we're moving the needle finally. Um, 
You know, people need to not only feel physically safe in their work environments, but they need to feel psychologically safe. They need to feel safe raising their hand in meetings and knowing that they can be curious and not combative. You know, that when they ask questions, that's how it's perceived. Curious, not combative. That's really important that people feel that safety and security of I can ask questions and people don't get defensive. I can admit what I don't know and people don't think, oh, she's completely inept and not effective for her job, that we feel secure enough. And so organizations have to create that environment. And it doesn't come in a cookie cutter type, you know, one size fits all strategy. It comes about and really knowing your people um, and offering grace when people make mistakes uh, prioritizing and focus on those priorities. I see so many organizations get distracted by really trivial things that introduces that element of fear. Um, you know, they get, they get distracted by this one metric or you didn't do this according to this specific process when in reality, do we totally care about the process or do we just care about the result? More often than not, people care about the result more than how it was done. You know, so people start to pick, you know, the proverbial hill to die on. And it's not always in the best interest of the entire organization. And that's when egos get involved. And that's when insecurity gets even bigger. And the ego gets even bigger in response to that. And we just start to create a beast. And so we have to really have these open, transparent conversations where people feel safe in their environments to disagree, to admit what they don't know, to admit when they made a mistake. I mean, you and I both know from an HR perspective, when somebody makes a mistake, what is the first thing we want? We want them to come to us. We want them to tell us, right? We don't want them to hide from us. And yet... More often than not, they hide, they're afraid, they're ashamed, they hope it goes away, they hope nobody notices, and what does that do? It makes it worse and worse and worse in the long run. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's really being able to create that environment of when you make a mistake, let me trust me enough that I've got your back, I'm going to treat you with dignity, I'm going to treat you with grace, um, and we're going to navigate it together Rather than mm-hmm. I'm going to, you know, scream at you or whatever, you know, horrific thing that, that some people might do, you know, but we've got to eliminate that environment of fear if we want to have a prayer's chance of being able to combat this imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. And I love what you're saying, you know, talking about, you know, we can fix a mistake. I love that because there's, you know, there's two different situ- two different scenarios one could be that you, like you said, you made a mistake, and but you're trying to hide it, and then it's worse. Or you made a mistake, and you talk to somebody, and then you're not in a conversation. If there's a closed-door conversation happening, but you're not in that conversation. So, of course, there's worry there as well, because you're like, oh, my God, why did I say anything I shouldn't have said something. I should have tried to fix it or get a coworker right. to help me. Now I'm in trouble. When it could necessarily not, maybe not even necessarily be about you, that conversation, but just because it just happened recently, it just 
you're you know people are looking at it and there there's that fear there so yeah you know and you and you also mentioned too earlier too about eliminating fear so i mean if you're afraid in a meeting to be seen heard valued or understood then there's a problem right sure Absolutely. Absolutely. So addressing those things allows people to say, Hey, I, I'm a little, I'm a little nervous about this project, you know, or wow. Um, I mean, I'm excited to take this on, but I'm, I'm scared that I might not be the right fit. Can you talk me through it? That right there, when people have that safety to have that kind of conversation, that means imposter syndrome doesn't have power over them. But, I'm, but we're not hearing a lot of those conversations because 70% of people, you know, are suffering here and they're too afraid to say, you know, I think I can do this, but will you, will you spend a little bit of extra time with me talking me through this? No, what they do is they think, well, maybe I can do this project. Uh, it's going to be a stretch. I'm a little bit nervous about it. I'm going to talk to all my friends who don't work here and, or, you know, I'm going to go home and, and lose sleep over this and, and work really hard on my own rather than utilizing those internal resources and just being open. And that's the big hurdle that people have to, to be able to break through. And I think as leaders too, Madeline, we could tell people right from the get go when they're starting and they're training and they're onboarding. And when we're talking about the expectations, you can we can talk about that saying, my expectations is that if you have a problem or if you have an issue, please come to see me. If my door is right. closed and I'm because it doesn't mean that I'm doesn't want to talk, I don't want to talk to you. Just may not be that I can talk to you at that moment, but please don't be afraid to come and see me. I'd rather you come and see me and let's fix it. And I'd rather you not be afraid to come and see me. I would rather let's fix it together. So I think if they know that right from the get-go, then they won't have any fear of approaching leadership with problems. Yeah, you know, and I think it's also being aware on our side that when we when somebody has a new project that they're taking on or they got a new promotion, that we go to them and don't just say, hey, how's everything going? Right? Don't assume that they're just going to give you all, you know, like we need to sit there and say, hey, I know when I was in a leadership role or I took on a new role, I was a little scared sometimes. There was a lot that I didn't know and I didn't always know who to ask. And so instead of asking people or admitting that and leaning into it, I you know, just try to figure things out on my own. And I want to make sure that we're giving you the resources you need. How comfortable do you feel right now with the resources you have? Right. Like really having those granular type conversations with folks when they're up against, you know, a new project, a new partnership, a taking on a new client, whatever it might be. But we know that we've just kind of stretched them a little bit. We need to really make sure we're having more robust conversations rather than just everything good. All right. Thanks. You know, that that's not going to be enough there. I totally resonated with me that that is Beautifully said. I don't think I could have said it even better, any better. <laughs> <laughs> um, what would you say are some of the signs of imposter syndrome just for our audience so that they've never noticed? Yeah, I, it oftentimes it can come disguised sometimes as I'm um, ego, overconfident, right? Like, ah, I got easy. 
easy. I used to have someone who I knew had a severe case of imposter syndrome and would never admit it, right? And this was somebody who I always knew that imposter syndrome was cropping up because I'd hear, piece of cake, piece of cake, got it, piece of cake. And I think, you don't got this. (laughs) That was was the big sign of like, yeah, no, 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 no. I've got to, you know, unpack this a little bit more. The other thing that we often see is almost a aggressive overworking, the sense to prove I belong, I'm good enough, trying to tear people my credentials, trying to tear people my credibility, instead of just living it and earning it that way. Um, we almost see people hiding behind a title or you know, where they went to college or where they used to work or, you know, whatever it might be, name dropping, something like that. You see, you see these signs of insecurity kind of pop up. And that doesn't mean that these people are bad or anything. Like I said, it just means we've got to address and say, why don't they feel safe? Why don't they feel secure here? And what, where can I address that? Because when you address that, then you're taking care of the other components, right? Because think about it. Those individuals who are way overworking, Harvard Business Review just did an article uh, about six months ago, I guess, that said something like, your high-achieving colleague isn't trying to show you up or something like that. And, and that's true, but we usually perceive that they are. But the reality is... It's usually because these are individuals who are always externally rewarded. We live in a society that does that, and everybody wants to earn their gold stars, especially Mm -hmm. your high performers. Your high achievers really want to meet those expectations and go above and beyond. Um, And sadly for them, no matter how hard they work, no matter how many accolades they, they receive, there's always another. What else? What else can I do? How else can I keep showing? Oh, no, I came out of the gate too hot. You know, and it's like, did I peak too soon? And there's a fear component there. And I've lived this most of my career. I, you know, early career success, come in, win a lot of accolades and, and triumph, you know, early on. And then I think, wow, how can I sustain this? What next? What else do I need to do to go above and beyond what I've already done that's been exemplary? That is a huge sign of imposter syndrome. Um, so, you know, you, we see these worker Bs or overworker, whatever we want to call them, you know, the, the type A's or whatever. Um, but really what they're trying to do, and it's not a, you know, they mean well, but they're trying to prove that they are that they are good enough because they're trying to meet expectations. But the sad thing is, is that's a moving target. And it's a recipe, as I said earlier, for burnout. It's a recipe for um, just unhealthy working structures. Um, and so we really want to make sure that when we see that kind of work, that we step in. Because remember, as leaders, we are their eyes and their ears. And what we have to say is, on my watch, I'm not going to, to you know, overwork you. On my watch, I'm your eyes and ears. And I'm the one that says, hey, let's dial this back a little bit. Most organizations do not do that. And it takes a lot of leadership courage to step forward and say, Hey, you've been doing some really good work, but 
I'm going to take some things off of your work plate, not to punish you, but because I need you to know that I do value you and I want this to be a long-term marathon. I do not want this to be a sustained sprint that is actually unsustainable. It's amazing that you're, that's what you just said. And then when you're talking about aggressive overworking, so yeah. I talked about this on another episode, uh, another podcast, another episode of my podcast. Uh, when I uh, was working for a company, maybe about 10 years ago, I had a situation where I would stay pretty much every day, almost, you know, we close at 4.30. I was there till five o'clock. So my my manager one day came over to see me and said, hey, Andrew, you know, I noticed that you stay uh, a lot after work. So I said to them, I said, yes, sometimes, or it's a lot of times I have a lot of stuff, you know, some stuff on my mind and I don't want to forget. So I stick around for a few minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes to finish it off. At least when I go home, I know that it's done. So he said to me, he said, I appreciate your hard work and I appreciate that your your care for the job and get, making sure that things are getting done. He says, but says, I just want to tell you, I hope that you stay with me forever. But if you don't, I want to let you know that what is perceived as you staying late, I don't want a boss to be seeing you and saying, hey, Andrew always stays late all the time. Is it because he can't finish his work during the time of the work hours? Mm-hmm. Or is he just staying just because he likes it? So I it made me think because exactly what you're saying, we are perceived that either I can't finish my work or that I'm trying to make an impression on somebody. Right. And in reality, like you said, it doesn't always work out that way. We can work 10, 12 hours and then it comes to promotion and someone else could get the promotion and not you. So this mm-hmm. doesn't mean that because you are staying late is going to get you further. Yeah, and that's a good point. You know, we there's you know, there used to be that old thing of be the first one there and the last one to leave, you know, all that kind of mess. And I'm fortunately we're seeing that shifting with Gen Z's and millennials to say, yeah, no, I don't need to do that anymore. <laughs> I'm no. because we saw people just really overworking themselves. I'm um, and not having robust lives. And so it wasn't, it, it just wasn't healthy. It wasn't sustainable. And right. so now I think we're going to see, you know, if with good leadership, it's looking out for folks and saying, you don't need to do that. I mean, I remember I was telling a, um, a HR VP once, she kept talking to me about uh, how important it was to develop employees. Um, and I thought, does she not know who she's talking to? You know, I, I could feel myself getting kind of defensive and, and annoyed, right? Because I thought, well, I only have a PhD and dedicated my life to this, but okay, you know. Right. And it was like she was trying to convince me, right? And what I realized, a light bulb went off and I went, oh, this is a VP of HR in a manufacturing realm. She has likely built her career trying to convince people that she deserves to be in the room and she doesn't now realize she's in the room. 
And by trying to convince people still that, you know, she has value and she's important and she's this, all she's doing is actually turning people away from her um, and, and creating a disconnect. Um, so that was a sense of imposter syndrome too, right, that I could recognize in her. And so I was able to actually say, hey, you know, you do realize you're the VP of HR. You don't have to tell people that, you know, how you and I can talk as colleagues and peers here. You don't have to convince me of how smart you are, or how talented you are. I've already accepted that. <laughs> like, I, you know what I mean? Like, I, I accept you for who you are and you don't. You know what I mean? And so that is really some of those little things that, that can pop up in you. And I was really happy that I was able to recognize that. Otherwise, sadly, what would have happened was I would have been annoyed. I would have, you know, okay, whatever. I'm not listening to anything she says. And that's not good. That's not good for either one of us or for the people that we serve. So it's really important for us to pick up on those cues. Yeah, like you said, we want to get a seat at the table, but we also want to, if I'm a leader, I want people at the table, but I also want them to understand that, yeah, you got to get your stuff done during the day. But also what's important is your home life, your kids, your family, your your husband, your wife. Those are things that are important as well. And you sticking around because you think that you're going to advance yourself by staying a half hour earlier. It's not affecting anybody else, but it's affecting your family because your family is the one that's the one that's missing you right so yeah. that's the important part right so right. we have to remember that do you think that people think that imposter syndrome is real i do i think that i'm i think people know it i think they know what it feels like i'm i don't know that people have always really had an awareness that they have it but I think they very much know what it feels like. I think many of us have walked into situations and feel like a fraud. I mean, I know when I was getting my MBA, I just knew I was going to get laughed out of the room. When I started my PhD, absolutely knew somebody was going to stand up and scream, imposter, you don't belong here. I'm, And, you know, I, I could feel those things very much of like, wow, I'm not as smart as them. I'm not as talented as them. I'm not as good as these people. Um, and those things always, you know, kind of exist. Um, and I think, again, we see that very typically the people that I have talked to that, that openly admit their imposter syndrome say they have that same dialogue happening in their head all the time. Uh, they walk into a room, they're like, oh, do I really belong here? What, am I going to say something stupid? Am I going to, you know, and so it's that kind of like, oh, gosh. Um, we get into our heads a bit a bit too much. I've gotten, um, I've worked really hard at working past my imposter syndrome, but it's, it's certainly still there. And I make a joke a lot of times about the fact that I say, you know, I am a fraud. I talk about all my degrees, all my um, publications and and things that I have done, the accolades that I've won. But throughout it all, I was in an environment of competition rather than an environment of collaboration. That fostered imposter syndrome even more for me, right? Because I had to be the best all the time. Right. And so, again, going back to eliminating that environment of fear, um, that competition in environment was, was rife. And I see it uh, in other people 
um, when somebody wins an award and you can see it in their eyes, they're like, next year, that's going to be me. And we kind of, you know, awards are great. Celebrating people are great, but we've got to make sure that it's for the right reasons. And so you can see people try to kind of, you know, focus on those things a little bit too heavily. And it, that's where you're like, ah, I think something unhealthy may be going on here. And that's where you have to investigate imposter syndrome. So yes, I do believe people think it's real. I just think that some people aren't, haven't named it for themselves, if that makes sense. No, that totally makes sense. And I totally agree with you. I've been in situations where I've said to a coworker, hey, you know, if you need any help, uh, just let me know. You know, I'm, you know, I'm kind of... You know, I'm not as, you know, don't have that much stuff going on today. So if you do need help, let me know. And I've had people say to me several times in several situations, say, oh, no, I got it. I got it. I got it. So even though they're, even though they're swamped and they Uh got 10 different things to do, they will say, nope, I got it. I don't, I don't, I don't need your help. So I do believe that there is a little bit of, they don't realize that it's imposter syndrome, but. Right. In that case, I believe that it is for sure. Absolutely. That's a great example. And then that really is what we see. And that that sense of I have to do this on my own. I have to do this because I have to prove to people that I'm capable of doing it. Because if I don't, then it looks like I'm not quality. I'm not valuable. I'm not doing my, you know. And the reality is, again, when we're working in collaborative environments over competitive ones, that's really not an issue, right? Then it very much is, is like, oh, thank you so much for having me on this. Or, hey, you know what, Andrew, you're actually better at this than I am. Can we swap? You do this and I do that. Like, you know, we take something off your plate. And yeah, you take something off mine. Those are collaborative environments. Those are healthy environments. And imposter syndrome has a hard time of really digging in in that type of environment. But when we're still prizing people for individual contributions, imposter syndrome really can raise its head. Very interesting, for sure. If you could use one word to describe yourself, Mandolin, what word would that be? Mentor. Mm, I like that. I like that. Yeah, I really believe I'm... Yeah, I'm a beneficiary of some incredible mentors in my life. And uh, as I, you know, and I'm just really grateful for that. And so I feel that it's very important for me to uh, pass that along in the people that that I mentor. Um, And so it's very important, you know, it's a a big responsibility to me. And so I feel a very big part of my identity is is mentoring. That's, That's wonderful. That's a great word. Okay. Any final thoughts today? No, I just, I really thank you. And I, and I think the listeners, and I hope that, you know, this was something that was valuable to them. I'm, it's, it's important that people realize that imposter syndrome, if 70% of us have it, way more people have it than, 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 you know, are admitting it for sure. So it, it's, there's a liberation that comes with just admitting it. Um, and being open about it, leaning into that, and I'm um, not living in the fear. I'm um, because people have talents and and wonderful contributions to to so much, um, and they should just be able to be free to to celebrate that. Mm, wonderfully said. Well, on behalf of myself and my guest, Mandolin. 
I'd like to thank you all for listening today. And until next time, be safe. And remember, if we all work together, we can accomplish anything. You have been listening to Let's Be Diverse with Andrew Stout. To stay up to date with future content, hit subscribe 